0: Miss has no challenges remaining. Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. Live after the US Open semifinals for 2023. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined by Tumani Carroll. Hello, Tumani.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being back. We are going to talk about both of the men's women's semifinals. From the last two nights here, we're going to do a semifinal show, then we're going to do a final show of the tournament ends. by the men and women. Let's just go through these in order. We had four very different, I think, all interesting in their own ways for sure. Semifinals yep. in this tournament. Let's start with the women who were yesterday, and we'll get go in chronological order from there. We're going to start with the first women's semifinal yesterday night, which was between Coco Golf and Karolina Mukhova. Coco Golf won in straight sets. This was a match that was about the match. This tennis was relatively straightforward, I think, for the most part. It was close. And there was also a lot of talk in this match about the interruption that happened in this match with the climate protesters. Uh, a man gluing his feet to the cement beneath his seat in the upper deck of Earthrise Stadium, causing a delay of around, four, I think, 49 minutes, I saw. Yeah, and so yeah. Total amount for this delay is a very dis- big disruption for this, uh, that was really the talk of the day. And yeah, you know, a lot of people outside of, it's one of those things, that goofy things that happens in tennis that transcends the sport and becomes a big moment, bigger than, honestly, Coco Golf is in drill making the final. This was, in this very short run, the story from this match was this disruption. So let's start with the disruption, actually, and then let's get to the tennis first, because I already introduced it as the storyline here. What do you think of of what happened? I mean, this it's not the first time this has happened, but this is the longest delay I think, that I can remember ever happening because of a intentional disruption by a spectator. I mean, it's short of like, God, like, having a Monica Seles. But, you know, in terms of a uh, a fan disrupting a match for nearly an hour, a Grand Slam semifinal, um, and a group of fans, actually, and one particularly being effective enough to block it for 49 minutes in the name of climate change awareness and calling for end to fossil fuels was their message it's premeditated. What did, what did you think about... What happened, and also I guess Coco's reaction to it. I think is also interesting yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, uh, so so I, I was in the in the crowd for it, and I mean the funny thing is initially because obviously Arthur Ashe Stadium is, is so big, and and for and for whatever reason, um, obviously there, there have been a ton of environmental protests and at tennis tournaments. They they tend to get good good tickets tickets normally good seats, you know, within good like jumping too.
0: And there, yeah. It, one thing, one kind of like gender, I'm going to let you talk in a second, but one gendery thing I thought of is almost always the disruptions happens during men's matches. They're usually during men's slam finals. And I don't know. I feel like in the 50th anniversary of equal pay, Village and King to disrupt a women's match. Kind of shows how yeah. we've got, to, you know, we've come a long way, baby.
1: But, but it's actually funny because they um it, it, so it was Extinction Rebellion who took credit for the protest and and in their statement, they said the reason why we chose a women's semifinal match is because it's cheaper than the men's, and we have a limited budget, which <laughs> <Okay>. was, but <laughs> but but yeah, like normally they're closer to the court, you know there was that um people ref- look back to the French Open. I think it was last year when when the woman ran onto the court. Was it last year or two? Like,
0: yeah, I think it was during the Casper Rude semi, maybe, and she chained herself to the net. Yeah,
1: Rude Chilich, Yeah, she chained herself to the net with. We we have one one thousand and twenty eight days remaining, or something. We're still, we still have five five hundred or so to go, but mm. yeah, but but this protest was from like it was like the second level down from the the top of Arthur Ashe Stadium. So when it when it initially happened, I could you could, couldn't hear anything and so it seemed like the least effective protest of all time initially just because you couldn't had no idea what was going on but then obviously first first of all the people stood up and started chanting it was with golf was up up one one love in the second set after taking the first set Mm -hmm. and then after about after about five minutes those people were there's a dispute on the actual number of people who were protesting The, the tournament says that there were four four protesters but i spoke to um Molly McElwee from The Telegraph, who, who just happened to be like right by the, you know, sitting right by when it happened, like literally yeah. like a, a few seats down. And she, she thought that there were three protesters and someone who was just like sitting there. Didn't seem to be uh, like an actual protester, but kind of seemed to maybe obstruct the police when they tried to remove them. Gotcha. Some of three of them were removed, and then this, this guy was <laughs> had glued his, his feet to the concrete, and just that ended up taking. Um, yeah 40 minutes 49 minutes
0: logistically just on the means of this protest what made this so different i think is that they were trying to disrupt and this man anchored himself with this glue to the stands almost all of the protests we see across sports are are some form of court invasion or pitch invasion or someone running onto the field of play which is more secured right this is an area of the tournament of the stadium during the match just not particularly secured like if you want to do something crazy to your feet, you know, while you're sitting in your seat, no one's really yeah. going to see you or notice you unless there was someone next to him who maybe spotted what he was doing way in advance and was really alert to it. Maybe we will be aware this is a thing you can do now, gluing your <laughs> – the person next to me in the stadium started gluing their – started putting glue on their on their bare feet. <laughs> I would yeah. just sort of side-eye them and keep watching the match. I'm not sure what I would do in that situation. But, yeah, but it was it was effective in that because – The the courts are secure perimeters, and we see this in, you know, an NBA. There was a a woman who, or at least one person, who's glued body parts to the court, right? But they only have a manner of seconds before people try to remove this said body part from the court, and the the adhesive doesn't usually become as effective, where this took nearly an hour to get this person unstuck, in a way that was harmful to them. So I, you know, I wasn't there. I wasn't a ticket holder. I wasn't a buyer. I was watching this match on TV live when it happened. I, by myself... I don't know. Sympathetic is not the right word for it, but I understand, like, where these people are coming from. I understand the desperation of climate activists. And I don't know, for some reason, I was surprised at, like, how, like, cool I was with it. I wasn't even really that annoyed by it. And I feel like Coco Goff, you know, who's a Gen Z person through and through, was kind of the same. I think she was sort of, like, down with the cause and, like, could sort of express some annoyance that she framed as being very sort of personal about like its annoyance happened during my match, but like not saying that this was the wrong thing to do per se. She actually said it was good, it was a nonviolent thing to do and it was effective and had some generally sort of positive things to say about this protest in the abstract at least.
1: Kurt Streeter from the New York Times. Um, Civil disobedience has a very important role in this country in the battle for human rights and environmental justice, right? Mm -hmm. I believe that this protest tonight was about environmental justice. And you're one who's very astute about these sorts of matters. And I'm wondering how you feel about a protest like this in the semifinals of the U.S. Open.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, throughout history, moments like this are definitely defining moments. Um, And I definitely I believe, you know, that I believe climate in, in climate change. And I don't really know exactly what. You know, what they were protesting, I know, was about the environment. And, um, you know, 100 percent, you know, believe in that. I think there's things that we can do better. Um, I know the tournaments are doing things to do better for the environment. Um, would I prefer it not happening in my match? 100 percent. Yeah, I'm not going to uh, sit here and lie. But, you know, it is what it is. And I knew that I had a feeling it was going to happen this tournament. It happened in French Open. It happened in US, uh, Wimbledon. So... You know, following the trend, it was definitely going to happen here. I just, you know, I didn't, I was hoping it wasn't in my match. And honestly, I thought we made it through, but it is what it is. Uh, I think that, you know, the moments like this, yeah, are history-defining moments. And like I said, I prefer it not to happen in my match, but I wasn't pissed at, you know, the protesters. I mean, I know the stadium was because it just interrupted entertainment. But, you know, I always speak about uh, preaching, you know, you know, preaching about what you feel and what you believe in. And it was done in a peaceful way, so I can't get too mad of it. Obviously, I don't want it to happen when I'm winning up break, or winning up six four one zero. I wanted the momentum to keep going. But hey, if you, that's what they felt that they needed to do to get their voices heard, I can't really get upset at it. And I found that very interesting. It's very different than how
0: usually athletes get really annoyed. And even like Taylor Fritz in Washington, there was a, a climate protest during his match. People just like threw tennis balls on the court from the upper deck to protest city, which is the title sponsor of the, of the tournament. And Taylor Fritz said, um, I don't know if you've seen this, but Taylor Fritz said, it makes me want to fly on private jets even more. He said, he said knowingly jokingly. He was like, he said he was joking, but he said, he phrased it. It was obvious he was kind of joking, but that was the kind of attitude he had. And I don't know. I was was struck by Coco golf herself, a proud activist in a lot of ways and how she reacted to this. So yeah, I'm curious what you think about this sort of conversation. So I've had this conversation with a lot of people in the, in the 24 hours or so since this happened, saying, you know, is, was this good? Is this bad? Is this to help the cause, hurt the cause, alienate people, draw needed attention? You know, what, from a value judgment, what do you think about what happened?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm not, I, like, I, I, I generally agree with the cause. I, you know, support. I, I believe in climate change. So, the, the worst thing that happened was that we were delayed for 45, 49 minutes. It's not right. really the, it's not really the end of the world. And you actually ra- raised a, I mean a good point about the fact that this this protest was different to the others and that it happened in the stadiums. You, obviously tennis has a history of spectator coming onto the court and, and it being a danger to the player. So you can't even that's not even really an argument. All, all they did is uh, delay the match for a bit. I don't think it you know I'm not. yeah i I definitely don't really have much much criticism much criticism for it i think the cause is valid and fair enough really we're clearly we're we're talking about it and that's what the point of protest is no yeah so uh, yeah I, i didn't really have an issue with it in the end and I think, I think Coco gave a really good answer to it, expressing kind of a, if not solidarity, then understanding while also being, like admitting that it's kind of annoying when I'm playing a tennis match and trying to win.
0: No, and I think that, you know, as far as targets go, it makes sense, you know, having a, this is a Chase, you know, I think they're going after Chase or other major banks and companies that that, spot, that invest in fossil fuels and support this industry. And Chase is, JP Morgan is a, big sponsor you know names all over the court and backdrop on top of the stadium and stuff and it is a a place that i think is sort of fair to target them and it's much better than people who you know let's say block traffic or block off bridges where people's lives can be affected and vital services can be disrupted in terms of ambulances or whatever else it might get delayed or stopped in terms of blocking off you know road arteries and, and the flow of life this is people who are in a tennis stadium no one's ever in any danger at any point except for this man who had sticky feet yeah yeah, so I I I found myself yeah just like strangely, like I don't know. I was like, have I been radicalized, and I'm like unbothered by this. I don't know. It felt very non crotchety to me in in a way that I was sort of struck within myself, being like, huh, I don't mind this, on some yeah. basic level.
1: And and I'd also add, I mean, it, it was it was a fair point that the again they raised that, I mean, th- this is a time. This is a tournament that the heat has heat and the humidity has been yes you know exc- excruciating at some point. At some times, obviously, tennis kind of follows the sun. And and increasingly, we're having these issues with it just being so hot and the conditions being so difficult. You know, just a few days ago, you had Daniel Medvedev saying that someone's going to die in in these conditions at some point. So, I mean, these are all things we should be talking about and and the way climate change will affect tennis.
0: Absolutely. we, We didn't talk about that match. We didn't talk about that quarterfinal on the show. But yeah, that match was awful. That that and a bunch of the quarterfinals were affected by heat as well. But particularly that daytime rublev medvedev match, which was short in the scoreline. You know, I think it was worth like six four, six three, six four, something like that. I and mean, no, no, three sets. No one ever got to five all in this match. But still, these guys, I was just you're just worried for their safety, especially Medvedev, seeing how in distress he was and had the doctor out and had you know getting his like pulse taken. And it wouldn't take much for a lot of people with any sort of vulnerability or precondition, or just something sudden happen, to have some sort of major medical uh, emergency or event playing in those conditions and trying to force themselves through, you know, he wondered if like Medvedev wasn't winning, if he would have quit essentially in that match if he was if it was that desperate, but because he was up, you know, a set and then two sets, that he that he pushed on, where if someone was losing and feeling that miserable, they might they might pull the ripcord. Yeah, I, I, when he said it feels like someone you know could die, that didn't sound. Overly hyperbolic, honestly, when you see the the kind of stress dating back to, you know, Australian Open and that infamous year where people were hallucinating Snoopy and they're making comments about hunting antelope on the Great Plains of Africa or whatever nonsense was happening there. There There's this real callousness, I think, to playing towards the heat. So I was happy to see, even though it was rain related, obviously, but that the men today started, you know, with the roof closed with some light air conditioning going on. In the match, I just think that should be more and more the norm going forward. We talked about this on, on a previous show as well, but you know, I think that we have to be way less blasé about playing in the heat and forcing athletes and fans, because fans get in health distress from this as well, to be in these conditions uh, without when there are alternatives, especially these in these stadiums with roofs and some form of, of cooling. I don't think it's about who can be tougher. That's important. I think you should try to make it as safe as it can be for spectators and, and players alike so that's my that's yeah. my diatribe on that front coco golf wins this match she had some ups and downs and had a lot of match points uh, that she needed for finally closing it out this is her second grand slam semifinal win her biggest in terms of the players i mean she had a really easy draw to the french open final when she made the french open final she beat trevisan in her semifinal, as Son stevens foretold and what do you think about coco golf and what she's done to this tournament to get to the final and this win over Mukova, is it, should I do anything particular about her? I think her composure during the disruption was honestly the, the biggest part for me, just how mature and... Because she was up... You, oftentimes a player who's up in a match when something of like this happens kind of panics when something completely unforeseeable, like super glued feet, uh, throws such a wrench in the works. But she seemed... Both players seemed pretty unfazed by that. Yeah. What, what did you see from Coco in this, in this win? I mean,
1: a lot of players panic when someone just takes like a three-minute medical timeout. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the first set was quite it was not a great match um, no. leading leading up to the um, the stoppage or uh, tons of unforced errors i thought mukova was just poor really just uh, maybe maybe it was nerves maybe it was feeling her arm a bit which was she was wearing a sleeve and she'd been it'd been you know strapped before and but she just wasn't great but i was impressed with how goff in in again one of the biggest matches of her career so far she was there from the beginning she was very consistent and yeah she saw out the first set quite comfortably she had i think she she was up 5-1 and then it came you know she, she had to fight for the final game but yeah she, she she went by the time the that stoppage happened she was she she was clearly the better player and when when they came back from from it it was funny because the the level the general level increased a lot both players yeah. were play, playing much better Mukova started coming, approaching the net a lot more just trying to get to the net as much as possible and and it seemed like the, 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 the deeper that they got into that match the, the higher the level became Goff could, could have closed it out more easily but um, yeah. it ended up being being a bit of a, a dogfight at the end but it was that was great I mean the best tennis game in the, the final few games and I think that the penultimate point was a 40-stroke rally where um, ending with Golf chasing down a kind of a bailout drop shot from Mukova and and then getting it done and I, I actually really really enjoyed golf talking about just how she felt she, she had the lungs and the legs to outlast her and she knew as soon when she said like as after that point she knew that Mukova was gonna like go for something big because because of fatigue and she, like she knew she had her basically after that 40k yeah. rally which was the longest of, of the tournament on, on men's or women. So yeah, it was wow. just a job, job, job well done from from Goff. I think she was she came in as the favorite. Obviously she'd beaten Mukovar in the Cincinnati final, and, and she got it done. And she's just been getting it done a lot. Um, even though she hasn't really, you know, her, her be- played her best tennis in New York. Her best tennis, I mean, she her, her best tennis of the summer came in D.C. Hmm. But but she she knows how to win, and she keeps on winning. And it's she's seventeen one now since losing in the first one to wimbledon which is a pretty incredible turnaround
0: yeah no she's been great and you're right that she's kind of learned to win when she's not at her best and she's got a lot of options for what she does well on court and can we match it different ways and yeah this was not the highest quality match but even still winning kind of ugly against a good player and a very tenacious player Mukova never gave up never threw in the towel at all in that match fought to the end i was impressed by koko for sure and and think that she was just beaten by a very superior player in her previous one Grand Slam final appearance by Svantek. That was a mismatch, and she got beaten as everyone expected. This one, um, not less of a mismatch for sure, I think, against Sabalenka. We'll get to the final in a bit, but I'm previewing it, but I think she should, she has every reason to think that she can beat anybody with what kind of win she's had uh, this summer, especially. Let's go to the second semifinal, which happened after the first semifinal on the women's side, as they tend to do in that order. Uh, this match started with Madison Keys starting utterly on fire, winning the first set six love, going up four, two, and then five, three, I think in the second set before losing that in a tie break. Uh, and then also having leads at breaks in the third set. And then also ultimately lost it in a third set tie break. This was in terms of games uh, in a match. This was 18 games to Keys and 14 to Savalenko, which is the <laughs> biggest advantage that a, player can have in a best of three match and still lose love six, seven, six, seven, six. It's pretty heartbreaking for keys. And she was pretty obviously devastated and impressed afterwards because her level was so, so good. She was really playing a lot of people were saying the best tennis for career, you know, in this tournament in a lot of ways. And she's had a good career. She won a lot of titles and had some good matches and good runs before. Um, and all the way through until she just got within reach of the finish line, and then she certainly slowed down. And Sabalenka also d- stepped up and, and played with a lot of heart and, and tenacity and maturity in this match to to reverse it. Um, so I was pretty, yeah, devastated on Kisa's behalf. You know, it was a little bit rem- reminiscent for me of the 2008 Australian Open semifinals when Daniela Hentikova started that match, I think, six love, two love. Uh, in that semifinal against Ivanovic you're nodding you know you know what i mean you're, uh, squeaky shoes squeaky shoes exactly and then the shoes start squeaking from Ivanovic and just that little thing there wasn't that moment where you could clearly see Keith derail from some silly thing that's the kind of thing like i'm saying you know like coco wasn't derailed by gluey feet but uh, <laughs> 15 years ago huntukova was derailed by squeaky feet it wasn't that clear of a of a hinge but still it was that same kind of thing where it's like you see this player playing the best tennis of their life and they're really coming out the best and it just doesn't quite get there all the way at the end. And that's, that's brutal to see. So, you know, you just have to, have to know how tough it's going to be for, for keys who obviously got emotional about it, impressed. Sabalenka was, was great. So I'm curious what you think about, yeah, what both these women did in this, in this match.
1: Yeah. It's funny because they're two of the biggest hitters on the tour. Sabalenka is clearly known for her power and the weight of shot, rightfully so. And yet yeah, in, in for like just over an hour, keys just completely overpowered her like it was you know like they were different in different weight classes and it was just a reminder of just how big keys hits that you know just how big she can hit the ball when she's when everything's flowing she was just there were she's crushing returns that were nowhere near the line but yeah. were just so fast that a sublinker just couldn't react and yeah she hit she played incredible at an incredible level right at, until that point that decisive moment. And yeah, I think it's tough. a it t- brutal loss, clearly. Um, but I, I do think Sabalenka d- deserves a lot of credit for just hanging in there. You know, she was really frustrated. She was, you know, annoyed with her rackets, with her team, um, annoyed with Keys's l- level of play, which yeah. <laughs> it, se- it seemed like she she didn't think should happen in a semi final. But she hung in there, and and at some point, you, you can you the I guess maybe not the likelihood, but there was a good chance that at some point Keys would blink. You'd think that she wouldn't sustain it the entire way through. And as, as soon as Sabalenka got that opportunity, she completely swung the momentum. She won like 12 points in a row, I think, some you know from when she was down in the second set and just turned it around. And again, was down a break in the third set and turned that around. And yeah, I think that this has to be... One of the most important wins of Sabalenka's career. We we know how how she's fared in semifinals. Um, even after she won the Australian Open, followed up with two just brutal semifinal losses to um, you know, against Mukova at, at the French Open, and then against Ons at Wimbledon, where both times she had leads and couldn't close it out. And so this was huge for her. I think just being on the other side and and actually escaping with a win that she you know, that didn't seem likely for most of the match. I'm curious to see, in general, how that affects her going forward, whether or not she wins this tournament. Just this affects her in semifinals in general, if maybe she's, like, exercised her demons and and will be able to perform better in in general. But, yeah, it was just just impressive. And I've also just, in, in general, just been impressed with how she's, had I mean like both of those losses I mentioned were just brutal and the way she's just been able to bounce back from them even like in the moment in her press conferences you look at how how keys reacted and that's how Sabalenka could have reacted at the French Open or at, at Wimbledon though no, to just I mean different circumstances obviously she'd won a slam already but just tough losses but she's really kind of just kept on going and that, that reward is her being number one and having such a consistent year. She's now, she's won a, one a Australian Open, two semifinals, and now either a final or a tie-wise. just pretty, yeah. just, that's an incredible consistency.
0: No, it's an incredible effort making all four semifinals. First woman to do that uh, at the Slam since Serena Williams in 2016. You know, and, and obviously Coco's getting this youngest American uh, to do, make a final since Serena in 2001. So anytime both finalists get a, a Serena claim, they were doing pretty, pretty good things. In the world, but yeah, Sabalenka. I said when Aspinco beat Shontayk, I was saying basically that I thought Shontayk still had, it you know, still felt kind of like a number one to me. But Sabalenka's made her case. There can only be one number one, and Sabalenka, what she's done, what she's proved at the big tournaments this year, her grand slam resume deserves number one, and especially some major style points for the way she won this match, playing a very, very good player, peak keys, really, in a lot of ways, uh, at least for a lot of that match. And overcoming it is a truly Herculean task and is the mark of a, of a champion and a number one, um, especially for someone who had such a reputation for so long for being, you know, not the not a good closer, not a player who was known for sort of getting herself out of tailspins in matches. The re, sort of mental resources she showed during that match, I was really impressed by. And not to mention the tennis was, was also pretty good as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I just think she's, I think, I think for me, you know, one of those things people say about like presidents, like that was the moment for me where Nellorian Sapulaka became number one, even if not technically, (laughs) but that match is where she really sold me on herself as a number one.
1: Yeah. It's it's just incredible to me. Like when, when you think back to when she emerged on the tour, just like a total, honestly being frank, like a total bull basher, as I'm sure she'd say herself, not really thinking about what she's doing to start this evolution and how she's just, her game's become so sustainable you know, throughout an entire year, her, you know, how she's developed into such a great athlete as well. Just the, the whole overall package and, and the general improvement is quite stunning if you think about it.
0: In the book Naomi Osaka, written by Ben Rothenberg, available pre-order now, uh, link in pre description. Pre-order, pre-order. I actually, I do describe uh, Rena Sabalenka as a ball basher because I talk about that uh, fourth round match the that, Sab- that Sabalenka played against Naomi in the 2018 used up in fourth round, which was a really pivotal match that Naomi won to reach the first slam quarterfinal uh, and just overcome. And that was really good to Sabalenka, too. Sabalenka was coming on really strong that summer. Uh, Turning point in Naomi's career. You can pre-order now uh, the book. People enjoy it so far. People have read it, uh, including Timani here. So, uh, please go do
1: that. Yeah, please. Naomi was
0: actually there. Let's talk about let talk about her briefly. And let's get her on sure, top. Yeah, she was yeah. she was she attended the semifinals. These women's semifinals. I don't know if she stayed for all of the second one, but she was definitely at Coco's match, um, and she was briefly at the Mevidev-Rublev match the day before. But I understand her leaving probably not for the, after the not too long because it was so desperately hot. What was it like seeing her? I know she was happy to see you.
1: Yeah, it was it was just very nice. You know, just had just had obviously hadn't seen her for a long time after, you know, obviously being around her on, on tour and so um a few of us you know she, so she, she was she was here for a, a mental health panel alongside michael phelps and some of the um the, the surgeon general of the u.s and yeah yeah she 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 spoke to you know she thought they were speaking on a panel that people were asking questions and yeah it was funny because um courtney actually came in late and they kind of put her right in the front row and so they were, during during this panel there was actually a, um I mean sadly someone like collapsed someone like fainted basically and and so okay. what well, yeah it was very dramatic but i think i think that the person's fine but he fainted and so it was stopped for for a bit and he just i just saw um naomi just kind of shockingly you know a shocked naomi realized that courtney's sitting right in front of her and you know they kind of exchanged a few words and she was very happy and then you know after it restarted, i, I asked her a question and just saw her like beaming it's you know when you when you're in a room with strangers and you see someone, yeah. you, you know like that kind of thing and and so yeah she, she looked she looked great she seemed in a, in in a great um place I actually asked I asked her about just how being away had affected her perspective on tennis because obviously we we know when players take time away from the sport you know sometimes they have a new perspective mm-hmm. um, particularly you know after a long 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 time being on the tours you know sometimes they're burnt out and and she said that i mean the, the key thing she said is that she was um in the past she was watching venus and serena and and thinking that she would never ever be on court for as, as long as they'd been and and now she's like hmm maybe, maybe i will be but yeah it was great to see her it Was I'm, I'm, yeah i'm glad i'm glad to see she was she, she was happy to see me it seemed yeah so yeah, yeah cool
0: no there are things that obviously i spent a lot of time thinking about naomi and writing about naomi uh, during this time and corresponding a bit, you know, doing some fact check stuff with Naomi herself as well. And it's interesting the kind of stuff that she's saying about her, her future in this sport, because she is consistently throughout 2023 this year and her various appearances. And this one I think got the most attention in New York uh, compared to some of the other, you know, uh, Japanese appearances or podcasts. She did that were a lot lower profile in a lot of ways. This was, she's been talking a big game. She has said that her, her goal for coming back is winning eight more slams, which is a huge, huge number. She has talked about she's talking about playing into her forties, like the Williamses, which is a <laughs> huge number. And so who knows how long that mindset will last, but that is absolutely what she's working with now. That's the kind of, yeah. that's where she's at right now. That is what she's feeling like. And it's going to be very interesting having her back in the mix in 2024, you know, which is ready to post up in Australia just after, right around the time of the book comes out. Again, you can pre-order a link in the description. Hope everyone does that. I uh, mean, a lot of pre-orders are very important to books. And yeah, she's a fascinating character. And there's stuff in the book as well about her relationship with media, how that happened in the French Open, how you know her per- very unique media persona, press conference persona over the years, her relationship with reporters, which I think got really conflated and kind of by herself included, uh, at what happened around the 2021 French Open. I think it's a lot more layered and interesting than that. And, and she's also clarified and reflected on a lot of what happened then. As well. So, again, that's our Naomi Osaka plug for, for today. Uh, but yeah, she was there and was mentioned even in the Encore interview, um, which I didn't think was really necessary, but she was yeah, yeah. when uh, when Coco Goff won. So, yeah, so that is the women's semifinals. Let's talk about the women's final now. Let's just look ahead to it now. We're on the women's page. How do you see Golf sabalenka shaking out? We can go pretty short on this because this match is happening, you know, a little over 12 hours after this post. So what do you think yeah. we're going to see?
1: I mean, I think it's a almost a dream final in a way. Just yeah. obviously, golf making a big breakthrough here and that's a, a big deal for Americans. And just, yeah, her, her kind of uh, stature in, in this country, in, in the world, obviously, as well, is growing. Yeah, I mean, clearly, I think Sabalenka's clearly the favourite, given what she's achieved this year and the fact that she's the best player in the world now. I think clearly she has the, the great firepower and, and weaponry and can control dictate, I mean, the, a lot of the match. going to be very interesting to see how, I mean, how Goff's defence can, you know, get into her head and, and you know, it, bring out the worst in her. Goff is quite good at, like, bringing players down and forcing them to play at a lower level, you know, just with her defence, with some of the, kind of, the the junk she can throw at them, the slices. Yes, yeah, it, I mean, it's a cool, like, attack versus defence-based um match up yeah. and and yeah but I, I do think um sabalenka with just her, her massive firepower is the favorite and, and golf is the underdog but i mean this is a big match and I agree. yeah it, it, we'll see who who steps up and, and plays and plays the best golf obviously needs to serve well but that, that's one thing she has been doing really well during this tournament uh, serving her first serve has been re- really good k- k- keeping play, opponents away from her second serve she's gonna have to have another great serving day um, against Sabalenka But yeah, as I said, I think Sabalenka is the favorite, but golf Goff definitely has a, a chance to to get in her head and to make things very difficult for her.
0: Definitely. I'm hoping they both play well, excited for it, looking forward to it. Let's go on to the dudes. The men played today, recording this late Friday or early Saturday at this point. Let's start with the first men's semifinal, which I think is a lot less to say about, probably as a match. Uh, this was a pretty straightforward match on the court for the most part with Novak Djokovic handling the unseated Ben Shelton 6-3, 6-2, 7-6. Uh, Djokovic was up a break, I think, 4-1 or 4-2 at least in that third set before Shelton leveled it, got some momentum going, but then Djokovic, in classic Djokovic in Grand Slam tiebreak fashion, shut it down pretty quickly, won, and then hung up the phone on the match, uh, Put it, as it were, uh, that's kind of what the talk was after this match was. So, for those who don't remember, Ben Shelton did this, has done this sort of hanging up the, the phone, landline celebration to show that he's dialed in or something, is what he says. Yeah. After his wins, including a pretty dramatic one after his win over Francis Tiafoe in the quarterfinals, this was for me the sort of clearest, in some ways, I think probably in many ways, a vi- vision that we've had so far of the emerging character of Novak get off my I'm, I really enjoy him, I gotta say, as as a figure, just being crotchety and and sort of and sort of dismissing the children with varying degrees of disdain and mockery. I think it's fun. I don't think sh- people, you know, people say it's classless. Like maybe it is, and who cares? <laughs> It's kind of my take. I know you had an approving tweet about it. What, what do you think about the celebration and also the match? I don't know. If there's much to say about the match because the match, I think, kind of went how people would expect, but the celebration is yeah. a talking point.
1: i I'd just say about the match that I was surprised by how nervous Novak was in closing it out. You know, he, he served for it and, and had every chance to close it out in, in a simple three-set match, but then obviously it kind of escalated. He made a ton of forehand errors and ended up in a tiebreak, and you know, he, he did well to close it out in three sets in the end. But well, yeah. yeah, it's just, it just me interesting and maybe just something to note that, you know, even in, in a match against Ben Shelton, where he, he clearly just w- was in another class to Shelton and just in terms of the consistency and point by point And yeah, he was obviously far better. He, st- he still got nervous. He's going to play a much tougher opponent in, in the final. And yeah, we'll, we'll see if that's either, to, you know, <laughs> uh, something we, we never think about again or, or if that also comes out in the final. In terms of the the celebration, I... <laughs> Um, I, as I tweeted, I, I love a bit of p- pettiness, and yeah. I, it was enjoyable. I, it was like, again, like uh, we've talked about this before. Like, just low stakes. You know, nothing. Nobody died. Nobody got deported. Nobody. You know. <laughs>
0: nobody got <this>. deported.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, but I mean, <laughs> we we have some serious dramas in tennis. <laughs> we do, we do, <laughs> and this was not one of them. So, yeah, it it was fine, and. I mean, I was. People are, I'm sorry, but some people are just miserable. My, that 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 tweet just. People. Some people just told me I was a horrible person. Yeah. For 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 thinking that that was you know not a big deal and 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 I think Ben. I mean Ben. I, so so my my take on that on everything that happened is that I don't think Djokovic enjoyed enjoys Ben uh, Shelton's just his his vocal. You know yep. how loud he is on the court, the cheering, the coming on, the you know when, when they're when they're both like already sitting down for the changeover and screaming, yeah. We, we we saw. I was actually thinking that the biggest winner of this match is is Cameron Nori, because obviously at at Rome that that that, that on on a, on a yeah I know that's very British centric, but at Rome yes. that was obviously Djokovic's issue even even more than. When when um, Norrie like hit, hit an overhead that almost yeah. hit Djokovic, it was Nor—he talked about Nori being you know so loud between points and it being disrespectful, <laughs> and and obviously Shelton's like if if Norrie's- you know, Sh- Shelton is on another level, so I think that probably really annoyed him, and he's probably thinking like, who, who do you think you are? you know <laughs> win win some slams and then come and do that? So, so yeah, I think that f- f- annoyed Djokovic, and and that celebration was the result. That's just my theory. So yeah, but I was fine with it. I think I think Shelton is is a yes, he's he's twenty years old, but he, he's a big you know
0: he's a big boy and he can di- he's dishing it out and he can take it. Is basically how I feel. Like, yeah, Shelton Shelton received he reached what he sowed in terms of the energy he put out on the court and not saying he's doing anything wrong because yeah, i yeah. like i exactly. like the you know the i used to call it because it was, used to be so rare the sort of rose of of someone who's on paper totally under qualifying acting like they belong and acting like they can beat these guys and trying to get a bit in their face or rattle them or whatever it may be you know in ways that are within the rules and i i think rosal did that and i think that uh Shelton just even just trying to be loud and be a presence and and you know be confident project confidence and you know and rile the crowd up and all those things I think it's exactly what you should be doing and you don't want to be shrinking I don't think shrinking helps in a, in a match like this against Djokovic yeah. I don't think you want to make yourself smaller and I think that that's what Shelton did he lost Djokovic rubbed it in his face I see no problems I, yeah. I again, I you can you can mock people, you can hang up imaginary phones, you can glue your feet to things. I'm gonna say, keep doing you, is what I'm learning yeah. about this episode.
1: And and I'd say that as if I were a tennis professional tennis player facing Djokovic, I, I'd much rather leaving the court with him a bit annoyed with me and a bit irritated with me, yeah. particularly particularly after he was actually quite nervous on the court closing it out, than the the alternative where he's like. Giving you a pity hug and patting your back <laughs> for trying, for exactly. failing. <laughs> no,
0: I totally, I totally agree. And again, this is some, you know, I think it's an American thing too. I think a lot of people who are okay upset with this are not American, frankly. And I think you know this sort of Daniel Collinsness of, of being in your face and, and shouting and, and showing emotion and, and fire and tenacity and all that stuff is stuff that I I fully support and applaud. Um, I wasn't really like that when I played high school tennis or whatever my top level was, which is obviously not this, but I certainly get that competitive streak and, and do not think it's something that should be restrained because we should all be Kipling esque and backing, and like winning and losing are the same. No, show you care. Be a human. Yeah.
1: That's my thought. And I'm and I definitely kind of. I was thinking that he did kind of catch the vibe of, like, be the country he's in. I could yeah. imagine, you know, like, I could imagine LeBron James, if, if he was playing in basketball and some, you know, a, a youngster was being annoying.
0: I don't know if you know who Angel Reese is. You know Angel Reese?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's Angel reese I mean, Angel Reese was a women's basketball player who was sort of mocking, you know, she was running away with a the championship game in college women's basketball this year, but sort of, you know, rubbing in the face a bit of, of the star of her opponent's team, uh caitlin clark so but that's again that's you know these are uh, people going stepping into the battle in the arena at the best of the best and yeah you don't need to be gentle or or deferential or whatever you can you can spike the football occasionally and, and have fun with it and that's totally totally fair and they're all pros and that will you know hopefully light a fire under under shelton to get his revenge oh, no. next time Bolton board material
1: and we will all be watching when, when they play next time, so... Absolutely.
0: We love having stakes in matches and caring. I think that's all good. The stakes were high in the second semifinal as well, with Alcaraz facing uh, Daniel Medvedev. Well, actually, I don't know how, how, I think people thought this would be a pretty straightforward match. I think everyone was picking Alcaraz. It seemed like pre, before the match, Alcaraz had won the Wimbledon semifinal very easily. But this kind of shows that one of the stories of this year in tennis has been, at least in the last three Grand Slams, has been kind of a revenge thing, you know? You see... Alcaraz claimed back to beat Djokovic in Wimbledon final after losing to him at the French Open. And now we have Medvedev claimed back to beat Alcaraz. Both of those cases, losers loser to defending champion into these tournaments. Medvedev came out playing great and won a first set tiebreak. And then, yeah, he, he won the second set pretty easily, 6-1. Lost the third and then, and then closed out the fourth. I was looking back because I was remembering, this is a humble or not even that humble. I was looking back because Sasha Osmo, uh, Serbian reporter uh, asked for like predictions for the season at the end of last year. And I knew that I had said like something about watch out for Ben Shelton, which I did. I did say like, it didn't fit in any of the categories he said, but my main message was like, Ben Shelton's going to be a big deal Watch for Ben Shelton. If that, like, that age well, just humble bra- bragging about that for a second. But I looked and mm-hmm. said, I saw in my predictions for who would yes, which who would win what man, would, it was men's predictions would win each of the slams this year. And I picked Medvedev for us open. This is again, back last December, because my reason was, Medvedev is too good to only have one slam. Like, at some point, he'll get another one. He's just that good, and I think he can do it. And he's proved that he's still relevant. You know, this has been considered an increasing duopoly in men's tennis. It's all been about this Alkaraz-Shokovic rivalry they met in the finals of Wimbledon, obviously, semifinals of the French Open and the final of Cincinnati, which was a great match, really, really great match, and people were already ready for that one. And Medvedev, troll he is, came in and crashed the party with winning the semifinal, i uh, pretty emphatically too. Um, what do you make about Medvedev showing that he's still yeah. there's still a spot for him in the top of the game, and, and yeah. what he was able to do on court tonight against Carlos?
1: I do I do think people just forgot, maybe, maybe you know people have short, short, short memories and maybe forgot what what he's capable of. Obviously, since winning in 2021 and then and then making the 2022 Australian Open final, yeah. he struggled badly. You know his his level dropped. He fell out of the top ten this year, a year after being number one. And has had, you know, he he began to claw his way back at the beginning of the season with that great run, but still, that's still not, you know, winning four four titles in in five tournament weeks, I think it was, is is obviously still not as big as doing it in a major semifinal to reach an, another major final. But yeah, we we forget that he beat he and he crashed the biggest party of all by in in 2021 by beating Djokovic. As yep. he was going for the grand slam at the final stage and doing it so emphatically, so yeah, but he put some respect on on, on Daniel Mvudze's name, um, and and here I think I think he played an incredible match. Really, he served really well, and um, from the beginning, just just I, I mean, actually, actually, I say that he like in. Initially, he, he hit like four double forwards in like the mm. first game or something. But after that, he was serving incredibly well, defend, defending extremely well. His, I think he, he had a, a bit more um like miles per hour and, and pace on his forehand, which was a, a big game changer because, you know, it allowed him to take an, the initiative more. And also on the run when they're getting into those crazy cat and mouse points that yeah. happen in every single Carlos Alcobre's match, he was winning a lot of them. And yeah, and, and he also just returned well. Obviously, the the key one of the keys to the, this matchup that people thought swayed it in in Alcaraz's way is that given his, with his variety, the, the the net play and the drop shots, you know, he, he could really exploit uh, Medvedev's deep return positioning. Medvedev did not take a single step forward, you know, in this match. He didn't change anything, but he returned incredibly well. Um, Alcaraz kept on coming to net. He served and volleyed forty-two times <laughs> in this match, unheard of, which in is 20. great. Three yeah on, on hardcore and he, he had he actually still had like a, a great percentage behind it but medvedev found like key points in the in the rest of tiebreak and also at, at the end he found great returns like crazy angles from outside of the court alcaraz described it as you know, he was retu- medvedev was returning from his house <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah and so he, he just it was a great just all-around match and just a reminder of, of what he's capable of doing and it's actually an interesting comment from alcaraz which he was naturally very disappointed and he said that before he thought he was an improved player but now he realized he's not you know that he hasn't improved that much and he needs to go back and learn more basically which I thought was probably a bit harsh and he'll probably not with some time he'll probably probably be kinder to himself but yeah he got outplayed and I'm sure he wasn't expecting that given how even though I'm sure he fully you know went in there respecting and. And his talent, I'm sure he wasn't expecting it to go as it did today. But yeah, a, a great win from for Medvedev, and just a reminder of that he's one of the best hardcore players in the world, and and yeah, back to competing for ma- major titles again.
0: One of the toughest things for a player like Alcaraz, I fully have to believe, is not buying the hype. The things people say about him are so hyperbolic, and they say it to his face and on social media and everything about how he's the best, how he's going to challenge you know win more than 20 grand slams and be up there with the big three and like how he's already a goat and he's obviously very very good and he's been ranked number one he's losing number one ranking on monday to Djokovic, but he's you know still a work in progress he's still young he's still got a lot to learn and there's still other players who are very good out there you know even if he is mevidev is if nothing else mevidev solidified his spot as a clear number three but with this win and showed that he is leagues ahead of everyone who's behind him in those rankings. You know, you know your Sifzapasas, your Rublevs, your Runas, your Kasparud's, whoever else is in the, th- uh, Francis Fritz, you know, other people in that group. Medvedev is in a league of his own. And, and it's a very clear bronze medalist on the podium. And then the other two guys are, are fighting, I think pretty evenly in a lot of ways for the top two spots. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a remarkable win for Medvedev to show who he is. And, and for Alcaraz, you know, he, He's, he still won a slam this year he made another couple semis he couldn't play Australia I'm curious to see how he I'm looking forward to him being able to play hopefully Australia next year as a, as a top player in the world for the first time he last time he was playing that tournament I think he was still outside the top 20 so yeah looking forward to what he can do and it's 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 different than like Madison Keys you know Madison Keys is in the stage of her career where you don't have any more chances she'll get it but with Alcaraz you know hope Springs eternal and we still I think we all think this is hopefully just the beginning of a a long and uh, excellent career and he'll have a lot more a lot more chances sure. so it feels less less dire in a lot of ways um and just yeah, having, absolutely having to show that he he can do this
1: uh, just, just to add it's 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 a bit crazy when you you think i don't know when when i see medvedev doing well you think back to when when he was younger and all, all the players who were seemingly ahead of him you know who are more, more hyped and 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 peop seemingly better prospects Mm-hmm. And yet he's now won a major title, had a massive dip, then come back and no one has kind of joined him. No one's taken a step forward. No one from his generation. He's And he's still the, the, the one, the lead, you know, the reliable player to, who can play at this level and, and do it in big matches. So it's just, I don't know, it's, it's so interesting to me how he's just still a step ahead of the rest of his peers. And, and we'll see if that ever changes. But so far it doesn't, it, it isn't. That isn't the case. I saw a tweet from
0: someone. I apologize for not citing who it is because I forget um, and I don't have it in front of me. But basically saying this: final three players, top three in men's tennis right now, are Novak Djokovic, who is the best man player born in the 80s; Daniil Medvedev, who is the best born in the 90s; and Carlos Alcaraz, who so far <laughs> is the best born in the 2000s in the in the knots. And so yeah, it's, it's, it's very spread out players, but they're all kind of inarguably arguably the best of that those groups so far. And obviously so far because Alcaraz. And I guess the 90s player could still emerge and, and pass Mevito. There's time for that, potentially. But, yeah, it's interesting having these three very distinct generation players um, in the top three spots and mixing it up. And I am hope this final is good. I mean, Djokovic and Mevito have played some very good matches in the past. They've had some duds, too. A couple of their Slam finals in Australia and in New York were not competitive in either direction. So I hope they both uh, are able to deliver uh, in this men's final. Um, and we'll see how it goes. If Mevito gets number two, again, I think he's too good a player to only have one. Or if uh, Djokovic gets number 24, which would be the most uh, singles titles by any man or woman in the pro era, uh, passing Serena to the extent that matters. I'm still not convinced it does. One last note, obviously, Tumani, we, we talk all the time about how political tennis is. You know, we didn't even mention in the tournament that there was a, a, a spectator kicked out for shouting Hitler era slogans uh, or saying Deutschland über alles, I think what it was uh, during the Sinner Zverev match, uh, the climate change protest stuff. Um, I, I, was, I was struck by something, A Facebook friend of mine is a person I runs a quiz league and, uh, posted as uh, a, a status on Facebook who I don't think of him as a big tennis fan, but he's been obviously tuning in during the US open a bit. And he says, we won't show the flag of the mystery country. That's home to the player named arena Sabalenka. No one will know and this will help win the war. Like, we now have two mystery flag players in the finals of the U.S. Yeah. Open, uh, who used to be of Belarus and Russia. And I got to say, I saw that 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 mockery uh, post, and it rang very true to me. I mean, like, what are we? Is tennis also? By the way, we haven't mentioned you. Uh, WTA announced that its next its championships will be held in Cancun this year, not in Saudi Arabia. Notably, uh, yep. so that's interesting. Yet, not yet but at least uh, not yet, because it was very much on the table. That's a possibility for later this year. And again, very late decision. I think it's still, you know, marks for, for picking Cancun. I think it's a viable host, but the the timing of it is still embarrassing and incompetent for the tour.
1: Yeah, and it was also one of the bids was also from Czech Republic, and, yeah. and the the kind of head of that bid was very critical of, of Steve Simon, and said they'd you know, raised, I mean, I think it was I think 16, basically they'd raised almost as much as it's a Saudi bid um, yeah. and, you know, a lot of money, obviously in a, in a country that two Czech players who will probably be there um, and it's close to where, where other players are, are from. And seem seemed, I mean, it seemed like a, a very good bid. Yeah. But the tier turned it down. And I think, yeah, I think that the questions to be asked about uh, about that, given kind of the, the central role of, of Czech Republic in, in women's tennis right now. So, yeah, yeah. I'm very curious to see... W- what I mean I'm curious to hear from Steve Simon, in his own words, what why why that wasn't a viable, what, or, or an acceptable bid for for the WTA.
0: Yeah, and it's also Ostrava was the city that to being the focus of the bid, uh, in the end, not Prague as initially suggested or reported or proposed. And Ostrava has done really well, and that the WTA 500 they had had a great great final a couple of years ago I think it was with, Shvantec uh, and Krejcikova so uh yeah so that's we'll get to that later in the fall as we get to the the finals but i want to
1: that was that was last year incredibly (laughs)
0: yeah you're right that was last year yeah yeah Yeah, you're right great great i mean forever it feels
1: like an eternity yeah yeah
0: Yeah, it was 2022 okay um nearly a year ago now um but what do you think about this about the presence of these players from these countries sablanca and medvedev I get, you know, this is another thing that I hear from people outside the sport about talking about this is something I think we're kind of numb to at this point because it has been this redacted flag situation for so long. There's been no deviation from that outside of the 2022 British ban of these players at Wimbledon and other tournaments. But otherwise, it's been business as usual for them with this. And and I agree. I, I don't know that, that it does. It's not nothing, but I'm unconvinced it's something.
1: I, I mean, I mean, I do think like the, the root of, I mean, the root of this is that they can't compete for their countries in the team competitions. I think it's, fair. I mean, I think that's fair enough that that they can't represent um, the federations that you know re- receive money from the, the government. As of now,
0: they're, they're still in, the Olympics, though, right? They're still allowed to play the Olympics as of now.
1: I, th- I think that's still up in the air. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: I think yeah. I think the the whole status of, I, I mean, it seems like it's probably going to happen to be honest, but I, th- I think that's still officially up in the air. I mean, I think we've said this before, but I think tennis needs to get to a point where we recognize that no one is at no one is playing for their flag when they're at the U.S. Open. They're playing yeah. for themselves, and and the flag isn't the flag. I mean, yeah, the the flag isn't important and shouldn't be. I mean, in my opinion, it's not. Yeah, that, that's I not what's that's if, not what's happening
0: here. I, 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 I would be I think we said this before. Yeah, we said this during that Australian Open, certainly when there was all the nationalism stuff going on. Um, in Australia, uh, around Djokovic especially, and the, you know, the pro-war rally that broke out on the steps (laughs) of Rod Laver Arena. This is a crazy sport. (laughs) But yes, that, God, yeah, that would be great. It's just, it's awkward when they, you know, you hear these announcements and it says, like, from the United States, Madison Keys, and it's to be world number one, Arena Sabalenka. They just like, kind of lied over it and find other ways to talk about her that don't, that just leave out the country while still thinking it's relevant to say it from Madison Keys um anyway yeah I, I I just still find it unsatisfactory I think the tennis could have been harsher against uh players from these countries in terms of trying to uh force or coerce defections I think those are things that could have happened in the sport I don't know i i i I sure. just I just I just don't I just don't think that it's a great solution that's all I'm saying I don't I just I don't I still don't I'm not impressed by it
1: I, yeah I, at this point I just don't think there is a great solution really and, yeah. and, and 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 any any decision that was made is, is messy would would have been messy and, and difficult but here we are and yeah
0: here we are and there we go into the us open finals uh and we covered the men's final as well but we talked about it so we're done thank you timani
1: thank you so see you see yes. you for the finals
0: sounds good bye folks